This is a Career Channel program from UC San Diego Extension. Visit us at www.uctv.tv careers for videos, employment news, and trend articles to help recent college graduates and grads in career transition bridge to better employment. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for being here today. My name is Carmen Norm, the director of Connected Careers, and this is Naomi Moore, our senior job coach at Connected Careers. At the San Diego Workforce Partnership, we believe that youth voice is critical. In the next hour, young adults will tell their stories to you and to leaders of some of San Diego's largest public systems. These system leaders will share reactions to the research findings that you just heard and their perspectives on solutions to challenges faced by opportunity youth. We're going to then engage the youth and the leaders in a conversation and may have time at the end for a few questions. But first, we're going to hear from Naomi. Thank you. Um, Good morning, everyone. My name is Naomi Moore, and I'm 20 years old. Um, During my middle school and my high school year growing up, me and my family moved around a lot back and forth from California. I never had time to, like, stay stable at one exact school. So in um, June of 2014, um, I wasn't able to graduate with my graduating class, and I had to watch them walk without me. So over the summer, I was thinking of a way to where I could go to school and work, but I didn't know how I would balance out both. So um, I had a conversation with my older sister and she told me about a program called Urban Corps um, of San Diego County and she said I'll be able to go to school and to um, get a diploma. So I gave them a call and they called me back the following week and I was able to come in for orientation. Um, I was with the program for eight months when I graduated and received my high school diploma. Um, So ever since then, that was my first job, and I have never been without a job. I like getting my own money, and I have to to ask people for things. So um, the next step for me now is going to community college, which I'll be starting in August, and I'm going for business management. That's my little story, and now I'm going to welcome up J.C., lights. Good morning, everyone. Uh, My friends call me JC. Everyone can call me JC, uh, but my name is Jacinto Carrera, uh, Jr. Um, So I'm going to tell you my story, um, and my story begins perfect. Um, The the earliest memory I can remember of that is uh, when I was five years old, um, my father and mother were both immigrants, or were were both uh, immigrants, and uh, my father was a hard worker. He was able to provide us a, a, a food, uh, you know, dinner every night, you know, and I had a banana tree, a hammock, a dog, a fence, and a house. Um, unfortunately, um, my dad got deported. Um, it was one morning, ICE came to my house, um, and they took my dad from me. Um, and then from there, uh, everything spiraled down. Uh, life was spiraling down. My mother worked uh, numerous jobs to try to provide for our family. Again, she's an immigrant, so you can imagine that's kind of hard to get 
a job, you know, with doing it all legal and all. But um, so I grew up basically not having a father figure. Uh, my dad did a lot of a long, a long uh, prison term, um, and uh, being around in the neighborhood that I was in, which is uh, City Heights, I uh, ended up hanging out with the wrong crowd, um, which at the time seemed to be the right crowd. Um, and so I turned 16, and then I began to use a hard drug called methamphetamine. Um, and so being 16 and coping with drugs, I, I lost focus or never really had focus in knowing what it was to be a self-sufficient adult or be responsible or accountable. And so I live... Uh, living room to living room with my family, sometimes in the car, and again, I, I was abusing drugs. Um, <clears throat> I instigated a lot of fights, um, and that's kind of something else I used to cope um, with, you know, get my emotions out, put them onto someone else. Um, and so, growing up, uh, it was difficult to change my life at the point where I was at. So I was uh, about 22 years old when I heard about a program called Doors of Change. And they took me in. They gave me unconditional love. They gave me a chance to change my life. Um, so now I have been sober for two years. I've been able to... Uh, I was able to save $5,000 with the program before I left. And I was also able to learn what it is to be self-sufficient, and that entailed being accountable, being responsible, uh, maintaining integrity, being honest, um, and most importantly, just being consistent with all of those things. I've held a job, uh, uh, held employment for about two years. I was a caregiver for a year, and then I became a conservationist with the California Conservation Corps for my second year. And so I've been having employment for two years, and that's something that I'd never thought of, you know, growing up the way I did. I had no idea that I would be doing that or even knew that that was a starting point to being self-sufficient. So um, I've been able to visit the Capitol. I've been able to um, provide my story to others for inspiration. And I've been able to do all of this uh, based on uh, all of this change um, because of the program that helped me out. So I want to thank you guys for listening on my story, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. JC. Um, next, can we welcome Mia Fletcher? Hello, everyone. Thank you for having me here today. My name is Mia Fletcher. I am 22 years old, and this is my story. Um, as a child, I felt the impact of living with a parent who was an addict. Growing up, I was combative, and I didn't get along with others. This was mainly because I was convinced that my problems were unique. I thought that no one could relate or understand what I was going through. I went to live with my grandparents when I was nine years old. And my great-grandparents were in their late 70s and were the generation like, before the baby boomers. Um, growing up with my grandparents was wonderful, but it was very frustrating. I didn't understand a lot of the negative emotions that I was dealing with. 
And my grandparents were fairly old-fashioned when it came to things like anxiety or depression. Um, I was bullied throughout school because I was overweight. I was a black child in a white family, and because I didn't exactly have a traditional set of parents. Um, so I was pretty much an easy target. Despite being bullied throughout high school, it was always my favorite place to be. Um, immediately after, after high school, I enrolled at College of the Desert. I wanted to become a preschool teacher, but once we covered development, I had found a new, <clears throat> a new appreciation for the human body. Since then, I've been interested in pursuing a career in medicine. I was 19 when I dropped out of school. It was one of the hardest decisions that I've ever had to make, but at the time, it was necessary. I had been struggling with domestic violence and made the choice to leave everything behind and go to a shelter. I spent nine months at the Coachella Valley Rescue Mission, and I tried to figure out my next move. Once I started working, I left the mission and was able to rent a room. And while this was a step in the right direction, I still had to deal with a lot of anxiety because of the unresolved trauma. Not long after that, I fell into the trap of addiction. I was looking to escape reality, and eventually my life had begun to completely unravel. I wasn't working, I wasn't in school, and most of my time was spent either getting drunk or being high. I knew that addiction runs in my family. I realized that it was time for me to face what I had been masking with drugs, so I checked myself into rehab. After rehab, I was fortunate enough to find Job Corps. You can tell when someone truly cares about you. And it's been a privilege to have so many people looking out for my best interest. Job Corps has met the needs that have made it possible for me to truly develop as a person. And I think that all people should be able to feel that they're capable of advancing. Once I complete my training at Job Corps, I plan to finish what I started and continue my education. I want to become a neurologist. And today, I can say with confidence that my dreams are not out of reach. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Maya. Um, now, can we um, welcome Jessica Rivera? Good morning, everyone. Um, thank you for being here. I am really proud of showing my story because I know it can inspire many of you, and I know that many of you can relate with me. So, I grew up without a dad. It was just my mom and I, and. For her to have many boyfriends, it was hard to have a male figure. And until one point, she had this boyfriend she was with for five years. And I thought I had formed this family, you know, had a dad who actually cared about me, had a family that loved me. But then they broke up, and that family I had thought I had fell apart. So that's when I started ditching in middle school, doing, getting, drinking alcohol, getting high, and hanging out with the friends that, like he said, you know, were bad friends, but at the time so seemed like they were the ones who actually cared about you. So um, I started falling behind in school, not caring about school because I thought I wasn't good at it. And in high school, I was also still not doing good in school. I was still hanging out with the same friends, and which made me fall behind too. Um, I felt unsafe in my community, so I picked up a knife once and took it to school. I forgot that I had it, and I was ditching, and I got caught with it, and I was expelled for a short period of time. Uh, during that time, I had to go to court, and I was put on probation for six months. But 
I mean, luckily, I guess, um, my dean of students at the school fought for me to go back to school, and I was enrolled again. But the thing was that when I went back to school, all the kids knew what had happened, that I came to school with a knife, that, you know, all the things that imagined that I could have done. So they labeled me as someone being dangerous, someone like part of the thugs. And, I mean, that wasn't a good feeling because as a girl, um, I feel like many people wouldn't think that I'd like, do the things I do. So when they do know that, they, that I've done the stuff, they um, label me. And so... Then I was put on probation for six months, and I feel like that was my turning point because growing up, not having supportive parents, not having someone that I, that I can go to, um, I felt like my probation officer genuinely cared about me, so I started focusing in school. She told me to, you know, to do what's important for my future, so I did, and I started to get my grades up to make my, my mom feel proud. Um, and then in my sophomore year, I was mentored by an acting detective who opened up to me. I opened up to him. We connected and built this trust. And um, he told me that he, that he saw potential in me, that he thought I was capable of doing more, that I shouldn't be hanging out with this crowd. So I kind of listened to him, and I started to branch out and discover my potential. And I was involved in Youth Voice, which is a program that's been going on since 2008, and it's for ages 11 to 24 and what we do there is um, we speak about our needs in our community, and if you want to be part of something, part of your community, that's what we do. So ever since then, I feel like that's what has helped me and to focus more in school and everything. And But in my, in my senior year, I was still falling behind because of my, my when I got expelled, so I had to change to charter school and... That kind of didn't work that my, the best because it's a whole different environment. You only go twice a week, and the tutors and teachers are busy. So it was a different set of environment that I had to adapt to. And um, I was still falling behind. And my mentor at Youth Voice reached out to me, and she told, she told me about a program called Axis, which um, has a lot of uh, great opportunities for me. So I wanted to enroll. And now I've been out of school for two months, waiting to enroll into Axis, and I'm finally going to get into Axis, hopefully. And um, it's a huge for me to be part of school. I mean, I've never been really um, like good at school, but I love school, and I know that I want to pursue my career in being a probation officer because I know that, like my probation officer, she helped me. I want to help other youth that have been through the same things that I have. Then, and they can get inspired by me too. So, um, but as of right now, I don't have someone who's like leading me into like scholarships or how to get financial aid. So, I'm kind of trying to figure it on my own. And I know there's other youth that are struggling through the same things. So, that's why this is so important for everyone to be here. So, thank you all. Thank you, Jessica, for sharing your story. And next, we're going to hear from system leaders. Um, it is my pleasure to introduce these le leaders to you because not only are they the biggest supporters of connected careers, they are opportunity creators. So first, I, it's my pleasure to introduce um, Nick Mashione. He is our Workforce Development Board member, and he's also the Director and Deputy Chief Administrator Officer the County of San Diego Health and Human Services. So please welcome him. Thank you. Thank you. 
Honor being here. Um, ladies and gentlemen, the San Diego leaders who flipped the switch right here. Let's give them the round of applause. And now it's upon us, system leaders. Truly, it's a all of us call to action. And, and I'm a large employer for the Health and Human Service Agency. We have 13,000 people, county employees, and a number of folks here in the audience working together to take care of 1.3 million San Diegans across many programs, health, safety, and housing. But it's what we do that goes above and beyond and paying it forward with unconditional love, I think you said, Junior, um, and taking in and investing not into our future, but our present. We in the County of San Diego are participating for, with Connected Careers. We've done hundreds and more of youth mentoring, summer employment, internships. You see, I think that 10,000 number Andy put up is not only within our reach. I think our goal should be to get to zero. That's our goal. So, and can it be done? The most miraculous things have happened in this nation, happened here in San Diego, because we have this collective will. We're able to bring our community together. You know, that old proverb of go fast, go alone, go far, go together. We're going together. And it's our deeds, not our words. So what happens after today, after this morning, this afternoon, is taking that pledge for employers to say, we have to be part of the solution because we want to be. Because it matters. Because if we want San Diego to be healthy, safe, and thriving, if we want every San Diegan to have the opportunity of living well, we have to give them hope. We have to give them the education and the supports and the love and the economic opportunity. And so that's why I'm really excited being on this great organization with the San Diego Workforce Partnership because they believe, they provide that economic vitality with our board but all of our partners. So I thank you for being here. But remember, we have the call to action that goes well beyond today's conference of what we're going to have to do because we want to do and helping our young adults. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. Now, please uh, join me in welcoming Ms. Cindy Martin, Superintendent of the San Diego Unified School District. Thank you so much. Let's give a round of applause to the students' voices we heard. Your stories matter, and your stories inspire us to come together as a community. And when we define community, we have to ask ourselves, what does that really mean? Community is not just a place where people come together to seek friendship. Community is where we join together in a shared responsibility. And responsibility is exactly what today is about. It's our ability to respond when you break down responsibility, respond to the stories and the narratives and the real lives and facts that are living inside each one of our students, that we can understand their story, their hopes, their dreams, their struggles, and that we can come together as a community 
to respond. So on behalf of more than 100,000 students in San Diego Unified that we serve each and every day, I want to thank you for being here to join us so that we can collaborate across the sectors, gather around the voices of our youth and their stories to help with reconnection. Today we're being asked to flip the script. What does that actually mean? How do we change a narrative? Sometimes a narrative is written for us. People tell our story about us. Our story, the new story, is ours to tell. The script is ours to write, and it's our job to flip it. We can do that, and we can do it through strong partnerships like the ones that we have in this room. We're able to meaningfully, authentically, honestly collaborate so that we can once and for all change the outcomes and the trajectories for the opportunity youth right here in San Diego. On behalf of our school district, I want to thank our key partners that work with us every single day in that type of meaningful collaboration. Peter Kalstrom and Andy Hall, of course, from Workforce Partnership, thank you. <laughs> Heather Latimer from USD Innovation Lab. Chancellor Constance Carroll from the Community College District. Iron Gordon from Youth Opportunity. Say San Diego and the Immigrant Rescue Committee, just to name a few. Give them all a round of applause. When we gather around our small tables and in our work groups and talk about flipping the script and reaching out to our opportunity youth, I think it's important to begin at the beginning. How do we actually do this? Do we wait until it's too late and then rewrite it? No, we know that many of our disadvantaged students show up in kindergarten in our school systems with far fewer words in their vocabulary than their peers. We know that early challenge makes it harder for them to achieve the kind of success that keep kids connected and engaged in their learning for the long term. So we start at the beginning with early learning. We've known for years about these early warning signs, and that's why our schools are expanding access to preschool so that every child gets access to a quality education at a young age. Mayor Faulkner was there to help us when we launched our Preschool for All initiative, and we appreciate his support. We know we are only beginning to tackle this issue. In fact, we have legislation right now in Sacramento that would let us expand free preschool to thousands of working families that's so needed. As a public school system, we've made a commitment to end illiteracy by third grade. We're working with our kindergartners to make sure that they get the strong instruction that they need to be reading at grade level by third grade and to have 100% of our students reading at grade level by third grade is a major accomplishment for the next generation for our city and we're well on our way with this year's group of kindergartners. We have other supports in place to make sure that we're meeting the needs of every student the whole child we must pay attention to. We know children can't learn when they're hungry or when they're sick, so we put in place our school-based health centers, and we serve thousands of free lunches every year. We know children can't aspire to jobs that they've never heard about, so we work with our partners, Junior Achievement, Raytheon, Qualcomm, and many others to make sure that our students get excited about the future and can actually see what's in store for them. In the, in the end, however, these, show, these sorts of supports are just tactics. They're the small steps that we take with our partners, 
But I want to talk this morning about the strategies we know that will work to flip the script once and for all. We've turned ourselves into what we call a strengths-based school system in San Diego Unified. It's time for us to become a strength-based society in San Diego. The title of our conversation today is telling. We're not here to rescue or to save our disconnected youth. We're here to provide them with the opportunities that they need based on the strengths, interests, and values that they hold. We look each young person in the eye and say, we believe in you. You have a strength, a gift, a talent, and an ability, and a contribution to make to our community. And our job is to unlock that inner genius so that you may become the contributing, active, participating member of our community. That's something every one of our teachers knows, every parent understands, that there's a genius inside every single young person. And our job as a school district, our job as city leaders, is to make sure that we find and we unlock this genius inside each and every child. That's what I mean when I say we're a strength-based system. We view the language a child speaks the country that they come from, the special way they acquire and process and store information, we view these as strengths. And while they may present educators with unique challenges, our job is to build on the strengths our children bring to us to help them achieve their full potential. When the education system focuses on the whole child and their strengths, we are well on our way towards having opportunities where they will never disconnect because they know who they are. They're self-guided, self-directed, empowered learners who understand their role and their contribution to make. We make sure that our schools are welcoming of all climates and cultures, and we're constantly training our staff to build capacity and work together to build excellence through equity. We make sure every 8th and 10th grader completes a personal assessment of their own strengths so that they can come to recognize the potential that they possess. That's what it looks like when a large organization truly commits itself to operating on a strengths-based model. The next step is even more important because once we've helped our students recognize the genius in themselves, we show them their opportunity to create a meaningful future for themselves, their family, and their community. Opportunity is truly the key. It's why we've aligned our curriculum with the high-skill, high-wage jobs of the futures right here in this region. It's why we provide students with work-based learning experiences that are meaningful to them and keep them engaged and connected in school and actually meaningful to our community. That's the key. We keep students connected to our schools and our society through these important opportunities. And, of course, I have to recognize today our Director of Secondary Education, Cheryl Hiblin, and her team who have led so much of this important work. If they can please stand, I think, at this table here. And Cheryl's somewhere in the back. Creating the pathways and the opportunities to make a meaningful education system keeps our youth connected, and I thank our team for that. Yesterday, the state released the graduation rate for every school district in our state of California, and I'm proud to say the schools in San Diego were top among the large districts. Now, that's good news for everyone who cares about the future of our city, but it's not the whole story. Before San Diego Unified achieved this new 91% graduation rate, We made our graduation standards more rigorous. We gave every student access to the University of California, California State-required A through G curriculum, and we required students to pass 
these tougher standards to graduate. They did that, and our graduation rates increased to above 90% for the first time in the highest of the large urbans in the state. I have to thank our students for that. It goes to the heart of why we're here today. When we ask, our stu ask more of our students, provide that support, they rise to that occasion. And we listen carefully to the students to find out what do they need. And we provide equity and access by giving each and every student what they need, when they need it, in the way that they need it, and we listen closely and deeply to our youth. In the audience today, I have a team of San Diego Unified Equity Ambassadors who are the leading voices of our work around equity. May I please ask the Equity Ambassadors to please stand to be recognized. It's the voice of the young people that will tell us where the opportunities need to be created, where the opportunities are working, and where there's still more to do. We are proud to be your partners in this work. Thank you all for being here today. And now, please welcome Carlos Turner Cortez, President of the San Diego Continuing Education and also Workforce Development Board member. Thank you. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. The energy in this room is palpable. It's a very exciting place to be and a very exciting time to be in San Diego. Um, I arrived in San Diego two years ago, but while I was sitting at my table with my colleagues from San Diego Continuing Education, which, by the way, is one of the four divisions of the San Diego Community College District, serving 45,000 students per year and over 40 free job training certificates, high school diploma, ESL, and more. I was wondering what I was going to speak about when I arrived at the podium, because it was my understanding prior to my arrival that I was just sitting on a panel. And I recognize that this July will mark my second year in San Diego and how wonderful it's been to meet so many of you and to engage with you in this critical work. But it also marks my 20th year in education. And I thought, you know, maybe I can speak of two lessons I've learned in working on the front lines with Opportunity Youth. And the first of those two lessons is the difference, the most important um, factor that matters in the work that we're doing is the connections, the individual, personal, human connections we make with these young adults. And I call them young adults. I don't call them children. I don't call them kids. When you've experienced the trauma that these individuals have experienced, they've lost their childhood. Um, my first teaching assignment was through Teach for America in New York City in the Washington Heights area. I walked into the school, and I learned that parents weren't allowed into the school. There was a metal cage where they dropped off their kids, and the students went into the school. Walked into my classroom. There were tiles missing from the floor. There weren't enough desks for my students. There was a window that was broken in New York in the winter. It's cold. that it was covered with plastic the entire year. And on the first day of my first class teaching, a young adult named Charles um, he was, by the way, in eighth grade for the third time, because they had ended social promotion, African-American male living in Harlem, um, jumped on the desk, all 260 pounds, six foot one of him with a beard, and broke the desk after doing the Charles William shuffle, which entailed dropping his pants and his boxers and doing a dance to, to welcome me, fire by purge, into my profession as a teacher in an urban district. I didn't know what to do from there. <laughs> I went home and I said, I don't know that I'm cut out for this. This young man made my life a living hell for about six weeks. 
And then one day, as an eighth grade social studies teacher, the students were asked to do an assignment. It was the age of discovery. They had to create an invention and then do a commercial for their new invention. And lo and behold, in comes Charles Williams. The first day he came to my class on time with this trifold board, and he goes to the front of the board and he says, Cortez, I got a couple models. I said, Oh, here we go. He brings these two young ladies to the front of the board, and he has them facing the board. And he pulls out what essentially was a bottle of Tylenol that he had relabeled, and he called his invention Noacidol Pills. And he had the two young ladies facing the board. One girl was thick. One girl was very lean. He said, before and after, for girls who have no ass at all. (laughs) No ass at all pills. (laughs) I spoke with my colleagues. I spoke with my principal. They recommended that I call the mother in and have a long conversation with her. I didn't know what to do. It was clearly inappropriate, but he had never done anything for my class before. His mother was also um, the mother of three young men, two of them older than Charles. One had died in high school and the other was in jail. And she was notorious for wandering the streets in her muumuu at three in the afternoon drunk with rollers. Um, We knew the life he came from and it wasn't much of a life to um, to have wanted for anyone. And so that day after school, I called the number, and I intended to speak with the mother about my concerns of the content of the assignment. And instead, I said, she, she didn't answer the voicemail answer. And I left a message saying, I wanted you to know how proud I was of Charles, that he did his homework today in class. The next day, I got to my classroom, and he was never in school on time. He was there at 6.30 in the morning, an hour before the school opened, slouched over in front of my door. And I asked him to come into the classroom, and he started crying. And he said, Cortez, he goes, I just got to let you know, no one's ever called my home in 12 and 11 years of education to ever say anything positive about me. And he said, what about this? There were no clubs or sports. He goes, what if you start a basketball team and I help you out with this class? Um, We did so. I don't know the first thing about basketball, but, but we did so. Four years later, I received a postcard from this young man telling me that he graduated high school. He was on one way track to jail or death. And I don't, say this, I don't say this for applause for myself because I had no idea the impact I was going to make on this young man's life when I left this 30-second voicemail. But that is the transformative impact we have on children's lives, on young adults' lives, in the work that we do. But we also can have the same sort of pernicious impact when the custodian in the bathroom doesn't recognize the young man who ran out of toilet paper or when the woman who, or the man sitting at the front desk in student services doesn't greet a student with a smile and they think they're being disrespected and they walk out that door and it's going to take them another six months or a year to get up the courage to come back into an educational institution to give it another shot. So the first lesson I have is the power of that personal relationship. The second lesson I think I've, I've learned in these 20 years is that when the conditions are right, all lives thrive. I was on Facebook a couple weeks ago and I saw this tour to take a bus out to East County to the Death Valley where, there had, where flowers hadn't grown in Death Valley for 20, 30 years. And, and as I read the article, I learned um, that these flowers had always been there. They were just dormant. And when we had the rains that we had this past year, you see the brilliance just drive up and down the highways, flowers we haven't seen in California in years. Because when the conditions are right, all lives thrive. And that's the lesson I learned in various experiences. And I'll just use one. I was a principal of a charter school for pregnant and parenting teens in Los Angeles. And when I arrived at the school um, as the second-year principal, um, the the, the students weren't coming. We had 200 students enrolled. 30, 40 were coming each day. Those that were coming weren't wearing their uniform. They were leaving early. They were attending the classes they want. And so I sat down with the young ladies and I said, what do we need to do to help you to be successful? And that was the point that things changed. I'm so 
honored to be part of a program that students and young adults opened the program. I'm so honored to be part of a panel where the center of that voice of the program is the student experience. Um, we sat down and, and they had concerns about the uniform. These pregnant and parenting young teens were asked to wear khaki pants with elastics and a navy blue polo, what we typically see in schools. And I said, well, what do you want to wear? They said, well, we'd like to have some, you know, we'd like to have some input. And then they weren't going to classes, and I said, well, you know, what do you want to learn for your extracurriculars? And so they created a fashion illustration class and a fashion design class, and within six months, they launched a whole new line with various types of tops and bottoms that were inclined with the new school colors that they picked. And, and it was just, the difference is when we put student voice at the center, it tra- the school transformed. This school was in the middle of Rampart, Los Angeles, and you walk out the school's doors and there's graffiti everywhere. There's trash everywhere, but you walk into the school and it was impeccable. And these young ladies with tight jeans were wearing, you know, with Sharpies in their back pocket when I started. Uh, there was no graffiti in the school. And once we had a funder walking through, and the funder asked me why, um, the, is, is the outside of the school look like it didn't? And one of the young ladies overheard the funder and said, because this is our school. And that's, we need to give our institutions back to our students. They need to be the center of all work that we do because when we do so and we, we provide the wraparound supports to help students be successful, when we put the conditions in place, all lives thrive. Um, I'm here today representing San Diego Continuing Education in a new initiative we have with uh, initial seed funding from the Workforce Partnership. And we're just about to receive additional funding to double our numbers, which is a very exciting time for us. The program is called San Diego Gateway to College and Career. We've taken our first cohort in. This is for young adults ages 18 to 24, unless they have a waiver, Cindy Martin from the school district, (laughs) um, to finish their high school diploma, uh, uh, career training, intensive case management and counseling, and most importantly, paid job internship opportunities, and I would just like quickly to acknowledge all of the members of the San Diego Continuing Education and the San Diego Community College District, if they can please rise to be acknowledged. And it's worth noting that our new initiative is a partnership linking resources across institutions. Jacobs is a key player. The Unified School District is a key player. Ian Gordon in the Youth Development Office is a key player. And we hope to engage with more key players in this room. Thank you for what you do, and thank you for being here today. Thank you, Carlos. Now we're going to go ahead and start our panel portion. And this first question is for our system leaders. Can you talk about what your organization is doing to address the opportunity youth crisis? And specifically, can you talk about what are you doing to work and collaborate with other sectors or systems? And we can go ahead and start with Nick, please. Well, I mentioned it a little bit earlier. One of the things we've done in Health and Human Services, we are already in the business of helping uh, young adults and families. but. We are a larger organization in health and human services. So really proud of working with other departments, um, libraries, um, public safety, other career opportunities as well, and opening the minds and eyes for these other county departments to take in youth, um, to do the, and they could start small, some internships. Um, Some of them may even do something that's, I think we need to do more of, informational interviewing, and for the young leaders here, this is the issue, yet you can't be shy. What we have to help you do is really reach out to folks and say, can you please tell me a little bit of what you do? And you'd be amazed of how many folks paying it forward will take the time to tell you and strike that conversation. 
So we're doing that within our organization, and then the nearly 500 nonprofit organizations, who some are already here and others, encouraging them to do the same. So we're working from within and our partners to create that opportunity and that capacity to get those opportunities and those number of jobs and career paths available for our young leaders. Go next. Um, I spoke a little bit about it in our opening comments, but what's important for our district to do is to, with all of our partners, is put in place very strong data sharing agreements with all the CBOs so that we can see where there may be some disconnections that the early warning systems are actually there. It's through the powerful relationships, through the unconditional love, through knowing individuals, but there's also, there are also key metrics that start very early, and when we can powerfully share data and put in the data sharing agreements that we can look for indicators early on, that helps. We've also put in our intervention counselors because we see early warning systems just within the school system of students being off track, not being in the right classes, not having their strength or their interest understood, and they're starting to disconnect, and we can just see it even in grades or in the classes that they're signing up for and the clubs that they're joining or not joining. And so intervention counselors are also using the data systems that we have and closely monitoring students and not waiting until it's too late. We're all about the preventative measures and using metrics and data as a flashlight rather than a hammer and being able to put the student voices at the center of that. Those are some key ways that we're doing it right now. Thank you, uh, Superintendent. I think it's a, your comments on predictive data analytics are, are extremely um, uh, uh, contemporary in that, you know, we use data these days to, to predict all sorts of human action. You know, politicians use data to determine um, who you're going to vote for based on what magazine you read and what television program you watch and where you buy your coffee. Um, we can use those types of predictive data analytics to determine what types of students are going to need tutoring before they get to college. Unfortunately, most of our interventions now are responsive. They're in response to student failure as opposed to providing the supports in place before they fail. We know which students are going to need additional supports and we need to do a better job of providing those supports in advance. And we also know in many cases what type of support students need, but we also need to listen to students to hear from them what they need from us. Um, San Diego Gateway to College and Career launched this past January. Um, Kelly Henwood, who's in the office to, in the audience today, if you can raise your hand, is the coordinator of that program if you'd like to know more or become a partner. And we've got a couple dozen nonprofit organizations, school districts that are working with us in this endeavor. And we're also part of a national network called Gateway to College. And I believe we have a representative, the, the California leader of the California chapters, which is 40 community college systems around the country that are providing high school graduation, alternative completion pathways, coupled with um, community college work. So they're concurrently starting college while they're completing their high school requirements. Um, the, the beauty of our program, I believe, um, is that it's not a one-size-fits-all program. Students come into Gateway to College and they choose their pathway. If they want to get in and out with a GED in four months, that's their goal. If they want to come to us and do several stackable certificates in, in healthcare careers to end up as acute nurse, certified nurse's assistant um, in our, in our uh, non-credit program down at the Chavez campus in Barrio Logan, that's their desired outcome and we'll help them to navigate a pathway to that outcome. Um, the, the real beauty of this program is that it comes with intensive case management. 
the, the young adults in this program are expected to check in with their case manager a couple times per month. Um, we have a, a, a resource center um, and a computer lab and a space dedicated to this population um, so that students have a safe space. When they come into our institution, they can come directly to the Opportunity Youth Resource Center. It's actually called the Gateway Resource Center um, where they can receive um, specialized support. But most importantly, um, the two carrots in this program, one is paid job internships. We realize that one of the barriers to educational progress for these young adults um, is, is access to, to, to resources to survive off of. And so being able to provide them with a 120-hour internship at minimum wage can get their foot into a career pathway. And the other beauty is that San Diego Gateway to Career in College is the pathway, the only is the adult education pathway for the San Diego Promise. I think many of you are probably familiarized with our, our, the new free community college initiative working with the San Diego Unified School District where high school students who meet minimum qualifications can then go into the community college and receive two years free tuition and textbooks. Uh, the challenge is that we know there are many students who at 12th grade aren't prepared for that opportunity. And so one of the beauties of the San Diego Community College District San Diego Promise Program, and there's about 140 of these programs around the country, is that to my knowledge, this is the only program that has an adult education pathway. It's a second chance. And so if you weren't ready for college in 12th grade, come to San Diego Continuing Education, do remediation, get your high school diploma. If you have your diploma, come in and get some job training certificates. Many of our job training programs articulate. They actually bring credit with them into the credit sector. But this is a wonderful pathway that we have that most communities around the country um, don't afford their students. And so I encourage you to learn more about the work we're doing. And if you're interested in partnering, please feel free to reach out. Um, so I have a question for the youth. Um, what are the biggest challenges you face in moving forward with your career education? For me personally is uh, financial financial issues. Um, I'm working right now and I'm paying for my apartment um, and I know that there's financial aid out there and um, I just I just need a more like a counselor also to help me figure out what those financial um, ways that I can benefit from that are out there and continue my education through that and uh, really just find what I want to do, you know, what, what uh, legacy I can um, continue, whether it be my, my parents or, um, or someone else that inspires me. Um, definitely this type of uh, environment here and this experience is definitely something that um, I'm very grateful to have. So this is, a, this is definitely something that um, would have been, if I didn't have this opportunity, would have been an issue. But obviously, now that I'm here, this is a great way to solve that issue. Securing housing, finding employment, and balancing working and going to school, and I think cost of education. All um, are things that are going to be challenging for me moving forward with my career goals. What's challenging is, well, growing up, how I see it now is that elementary is free, middle school is free, high school is free, so why isn't college free, you know? Like,
like they tell us to work to like go to college to get to get a career but i mean if they cut the education there then how can they tell us to do all of this when they are not allowing us to do it and it's a struggle because i know that there's many youth many young adults who want to go to college but it's not free they can't access it they have to work hard they have to find a way how to get there and many for example the scholarships and financial aid they're not presented at the youth they have to search for it they have to ask people where they can look for it, where they can get it and it's not easily accessed so for more you know teachers staff people that work at schools or whatever to to reach out to these students and tell them hey they're they're here I'll I'll sit down with you we'll do it together you know people that actually care about people you going to school is that it's the, well, it's what we need This question is specifically for Nick. Nick, you talked about internships, you talked about wonderful programs, but what is your organization doing or what does it plan to do to engage youth voices to tackle this problem? Well, um, we serve 450,000 children and youth across our programs in San Diego. 450,000 um, in foster care, our, tra our transitional age youth, um, those that are in our mental health or substance use programs, a whole array of programs, housing being one of them. And perhaps the most important thing is we're taking pause and asking for our young adults to tell us about the services. We're hearing not what we, and I think it was said by Carlos, what we assume they need, but hearing, like today, what is it you need? We need, I'm thinking based on the panel, when I go back, my commitment is, how are we bringing in career counselors and bringing in our partners, these certified financial planners that occasionally do these free events, how do we bring them in in concert with our school partners to the kids that we have in our other programs, asking them if they need this help? Because it's very clear you pointed that out, and I wasn't even thinking about that until you raised that. So our commitment is to continually learn and hear and bring those supports for those that are already in our system of care, because our goal is really simple, is get them to be stronger, healthier, even more vibrant than how we found them when they leave our system of care. Okay, and this is for the youth again. So um, what makes you want to be here and share your story? Uh, it's like, uh, for me, it was a, I don't know, man. I, I'm, I'm different. I, I feel different because the, the thing that I went through was, as a young child, I, I had a good, you know, that good beginning, you know, thing. But not a lot of us have that. And it being taken away, I felt that, you know. And being here today and being able to recuperate from, uh, from everything that I went through and I put myself through, um, you know, because I did have a choice when I didn't have my parents with me. Uh, it, it just, it, it's like uh, I got to go through it for a reason, you know. I got to go through it. I can, I can advocate for it now. I can, I can change my life. I can inspire others to change it. I can teach um, others that have been through it how to do it, you know. Like, I can do that because I've been there. 
you know, and there's it doesn't get any realer than that. So um, I definitely like I, I love the fact that that I'm able to realize that now, you know, and and just being able to share my story it gives me a purpose and um, it gives uh, it gives it gives growth to motivate others. So I that's why I think it's important to share my story. Um, I think for me, um, struggling with, you know, abuse and trauma and addiction, I think it's important that I share my story so that people know that that's not all there is. You know, you you may feel like you're stuck or you may feel like um, you can't move forward, but in sharing my story, hopefully I inspire people to see that there's there's more to life and that there is a future for you. Um, so before, I, I want to thank Daniel Workforce Partnership because um, I was interned here and I was part of their program and that was my first job and it motivated me to continue looking for jobs and building my resume. Um, and then Carmen invited me to be here, so thanks to her I'm here. And it's important because um, obviously growing up with all this trauma, anxiety, you don't have anyone to go to sometimes, and there's people who feel the same. They feel like, why should I bother someone with my problems if, you know, they're not going to do anything or whatever, so, but then when you start telling people about your story, they start hearing you and seeing that the reality of life, how people go through things and they have to cope with it, and keep on moving forward and be resilient, bounce back, and go to where they want to be. So it's important because seeing people here that care about you and what I want to do is to have trauma-informed systems so they can, you know, not just help people, but, like, build them for success and help them then achieve all their goals and guide them through what they want to be. And knowing that all these systems are here today wanting to even hear about us and hear and want to be part of a solution is really important and gives me hope. Thank you. This question is for Cindy. Can you tell us about a person or experience that influenced your career? Oh, what a fun question. Yeah, I will talk about my brother, Charlie. Um, Charlie's 52 years old, and he's developmentally disabled. And I'm going to talk about my sister, Laura. She's 48 years old, and she's mentally ill. So I have an older brother and a younger sister who both need support um, to be successful in the community. And I knew since I was, since I can remember that I wanted to be a teacher because I grew up teaching uh, my brother, Charlie, he at being developmentally disabled, they didn't think that he was going to learn to read or that he was going to progress very much. And so I kind of became his teacher. I taught him to tie his shoes, taught him a lot of things, and knew I wanted to become a teacher because of Charlie. Um, and so he influenced me at a very young age. And so my first job was um, working with kids when I was 16 or 15 years old at um, 24-hour fitness. It was called Family Fitness Center back then. People from San Diego remember that. I worked in the daycare, and I was a babysitter. I took care of children, and I knew I wanted to go to college to become a teacher, and I wanted to teach specifically students with disabilities and students with special needs because of my brother, Charlie. 
Um, my sister grew up, went to college, got a four-year degree from Humboldt State, and in her early 20s was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. And um, she still struggles with that today. Specifically, actually right now, there's, she's having a challenge. But she's had some years of stability and some years of challenge. And I've watched how a community can come together and the kinds of supports that our state and our city from the San Diego Regional Center and from NAMI, National Alliance for Mental Illness, um, have supported my family. And they're in the room. Good. Um, Jewish Family Service has been very involved with our family the regional center, and I've watched how networks of care and networks of people can gather around my family. And a family, my mother's been involved in Jewish Family Service. She was president of Jewish Family Service, very involved. And so the influence of watching my mother raise um, three children, and we all turned out very different, and how social support systems and networks have been in place. Um, I'd said my brother and my sister have influenced me, but it's truly my mother and watching my mom um, learn from her how to be a contributing participating member of her community and give back when she's had so many challenges in, in raising her children and I was a challenge too. <laughs> we all had our own special challenges. Um, but I really appreciate the, all of the work and the support of this community. My family and my brother and sister have benefited from and my mother has given back in, in big and beautiful ways in the work that she's done in this community as well. So she's not in the room, but if you don't know her, my mom is Fern Siegel, and she's my hero, and it was her 79th birthday this week. <laughs> And that concludes our session, so thank you to all of you for participating. Please join me for a round of applause.